Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, how have abortion laws changed in the US since Roe v. Wade was overturned? Just over two months after Roe v. Wade was overturned, abortion bans have been implemented in several states. Even before the bans took hold, the chilling effect of the Supreme Court decision was clear, as clinics providing abortions in some of these states moved elsewhere or closed entirely. Abortion rights groups have been attempting to block the bans, but the rulings left them with few options. Meanwhile, anti-abortion groups are pushing for more states to enforce restrictions, calling for harsh penalties for doctors who perform the procedures, and in some cases jail time or even the death penalty for anyone who has a termination. So what further changes to abortion rights can we expect in the US now? And will there be wider consequences for women's health? Joining me to discuss it today is Marion McKeown, US correspondent for the Business Post. Marion, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here, Michelle. Now, can you remind our listeners what happened with Roe v. Wade earlier this year? So in late June this year, as you say, just over two months ago, uh, the Supreme Court decided it, it did a couple of things that were very unusual and signaled that it was minded to overturn Roe v. Wade. Firstly, it heard a case called Dobbs versus Mississippi, which was a case in which the state of Mississippi decided that it was introducing a 15-week ban on abortion. Now, this was just a test case. Uh, the state of Mississippi had always wanted to impose a complete ban on abortion, which it has just done, but it thought that if the court agreed to hear the case, that would be a very good signal because for the past, since Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which was, I think, 1992, the Supreme Court has refused to hear abortion cases and challenges to the, the law that has existed for 50 years now, which says that a woman has a constitutional right to an abortion in the United States. So, for, as I say, until this year, the courts had said, we're not hearing these cases, it's settled law, so they just wouldn't take the cases. So this Supreme Court, uh, and I'll put this Supreme Court in context in a moment, uh, came along and it said, yes, we will hear that case, which again made everybody immediately think, well, why would you hear a case about something that has already been established as a constitutional right? The Supreme Courts over the years and over the history have tended to recognise constitutional rights rather than take them away. So anyway, uh, Dobbs and Mississippi went to the Supreme Court. Uh, they had two options. They could have just said, OK, we're going to allow Dobbs and Mississippi to implement the law they're seeking to implement, which would put a ban on any abortions in the state after 15 weeks of pregnancy. and, and that's usually what the courts do. They'll go, they'll do the least that's required to achieve the aim. But this court went a lot further than that. Under Samuel Alito, who wrote the one of the most conservative judges and the longest serving judges on the court, he wrote the opinion, there, there were four opinions actually, but he wrote the main one, which said that there is no constitutional right uh, for an abortion in the United States and that uh, Roe v. Wade was wrong. And this this was the equivalent of a, a legal nuclear bomb because it, basically what he did was um, 50 different states, there are 50 states in America and each state operates almost like a separate independent state. And the more conservative the states, the more they like to isolate from the federal government. And most of these states have Republican governors, Republican state legislators and Republican senates. So a, a number of states had already um, introduced what they call trigger laws, which meant that as soon as in the anticipation that the courts would in fact overturn Roe v. Wade, they were ready to strike immediately and to ban abortion in their states. And you mentioned that there were states that were basically getting ready before we had the official decision. How quickly afterwards did states move to ban abortion and which ones did it first? 
This is where the legal chaos starts, Michelle, because 13 states had introduced trigger laws, which said that as soon as basically the Mississippi case was decided, their laws could go into effect immediately. Now, some of them had a 30 day waiting period. But as I say, and then there were other states that had very draconian laws that existed pre-1973 and that criminalized abortion. And and they um, said, well, you know, we never took these laws off the statute books. We just suspended them. So now that the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, we're going to reintroduce these really draconian laws immediately. So you had, as I say, you had a bunch of states that introduced new laws like Mississippi. You had a bunch of states that introduced trigger laws that meant they'd automatically go into effect as soon as the judgment was handed down. And then you had other states that said, well, we're just going to, we're not even going to bother introducing new laws. We're just going to bring back the laws that existed in our states for over 100 years banning abortion. So you had that recipe for legal chaos as well. Were there any successful legal challenges to those bans then when they when they first came in? Yeah, there have been quite a few, actually. Um, in a number of states, including conservative states like Utah, um, Wyoming, Montana, uh, North Dakota, there are about, at the moment, 10 states where they have introduced very draconian abortion laws but judges in the in in the state courts have said whoa, whoa, whoa not so fast hold on we're not allowing this to come into effect and um it, and some a couple of states like florida have gotten around that now and then you've got other states uh, indiana is the example where its laws are coming into effect i believe next week which are very draconian now in 12 um of these states so in alabama arkansas idaho kentucky louisiana mississippi missouri Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee and Texas and Wisconsin, all of these states are banning abortion totally with no exceptions for rape or incest. Now, only one state um, makes a difference in that. And it's bizarre, I have to say. Mississippi says, uh, which, you know, Mississippi is the is the, the state that went to the Supreme Court originally and said, we just want a 16-week ban. Well, they didn't. They wanted a total ban. But the 15-week the ban, I beg your pardon, was the first step to that. So they immediately then introduced a law totally banning abortions. And they said that there would be exceptions in rape cases, but not in incest cases. But in the other states, as I say, it's a total ban. And then you have a couple of states, um, Ohio and Georgia, where they have adopted the Texan fetal heartbeat ban, um, which means you can't have an abortion after six weeks. And then in Florida, Utah, North Carolina, I believe that they're the, they're the states that have also introduced bans, but they're bans that are after 15 weeks or after 18 weeks. So they're they're more moderate. They're, they're not total bans. They're, they basically just restrict the amount of time within which uh, you can have an abortion. Uh, but And then you have about 12 or 13 states that haven't been affected at all by Roe v. Wade. In fact, a couple of them have adopted um, laws into their constitution recognizing that a woman's right to abortion exists, states like California. But interestingly, there is a Kansas, which is a very, very conservative state in America. They had recognized a right to abortion previously in their constitution. They then had to have a referendum to strip away that right to ban abortion. That referendum was defeated by more than two thirds of the voters, as I say, in a really conservative state. And I think that that's a signal about how much this is unwelcome in America. And that if you survey after survey has shown that a lot of Americans 
Americans. And it is a matter of personal, you know, choice and personal morality. A lot, a lot of Americans don't want to see abortions performed after 15 weeks. But the majority of Americans are in favor of women having access, some access to abortion, usually up to about that period. So this, the courts, um, the court's ruling doesn't reflect the public sentiment. It goes absolutely against the public sentiment, as we saw in the Kansas referendum. You know, when you have one of the most conservative states in America voting for two, by a two-thirds majority uh, to keep abortion rights, you know, you know that the, the Supreme Court is out of whack, basically. Are we already seeing the impact of this on the ground? Can you give us some examples of how people's lives have been affected by it? As always happens, it's poorer women who are suffering the most. Because if you're a wealthier woman or a woman who has means or who has a job that will allow you to take a couple of days off to go out of state, you can do that. But if you're, let's say, already a single mom, a minimum wage earner, you have a job that is will not allow you the flexibility to take two or three days off to travel to another state, or if you just simply cannot afford, because it does cost several thousand dollars to travel to another state uh, to, to get an abortion there, then you're be, you are being forced to have a child that you cannot afford and that you do not want to bring into the world at, at this point. Uh, so, you know, as I say, wealthier women are fine. They can hop in a plane to New York or California or wherever. But it's also, there have been some horrific cases already that have come. And I, I'll just signal three cases for you. There was one case, which I'm sure you've heard of, Michelle, um, that, that happened in Ohio about just after the ban. There was a 10-year-old girl who was raped and she became pregnant. Now, it was a violent rape. The child was very traumatized by it, um, but she wasn't able to get an abortion in Ohio because it had... It was in the middle of a trigger law and whatever, and the, and the laws weren't clear. So she had to go to Indiana to have the abortion performed. Then the doctor who performed the abortion for her has been subjected to death threats, to hate mail, to all kinds of things. And, and, and you know, has I've heard her speak several times since where she said that, but for her determination to keep helping people, she would just go into another area of medicine. Um, and, and this kind of harassment of, of doctors who and abortion advocates is widespread. There's another case in Florida, which was just bizarre about two weeks ago and is ongoing, where a 16-year-old girl um, became pregnant. She's in school. She has no parents. Basically, she's living with a guardian. Um, she has no means to support a child. The father of the child and his family have no inclination to support a child either or no interest in supporting a child. So um, anyway, what happened was she went to court. She filled out the she basically submitted the form herself to say that she wanted the court's permission in the absence of having parents to give permission at 16. She wanted the court's permission to have an abortion. And the court said, no, you're too immature to make that decision. And it, it was appealed and the appeal court said the same thing. So this bizarre I, I don't even know, I, I suppose, paradox where they're saying you're too immature to decide to have an abortion, but you're not too immature to be forced to have a child that you have no way of supporting, even though you're 16 and you're only in school and you have no parents. And then more recently, there's been a really heartbreaking case of, of a woman whose fetus has a an abnormality in that it has no skull. It, it, it has developed without a skull and she wanted to have an abortion because the fetus has no chance of survival once it's born. And she was told, no, you cannot have an abortion. It doesn't come under, you know, that it, it, it's just not allowed. So she has to carry 
the fetus to term. The fetus will almost certainly die while she's giving birth. And it will be a very distressing experience, doctors have said, for both the mother and for the fetus. And it will die during delivery in any case. You touched on this earlier, but have any states attempted to bring in laws restricting a person's right to travel for an abortion? Oh, yeah, a couple of states have raised that. And it's, I mean, I'm putting on my legal hat here. I don't think it's a flyer. And the reason I don't think it's a flyer is, I'll give you an example of, there are states where certain things are legal that are illegal in other states. And the simplest example is in California, cannabis is legal for recreational and medicinal purposes. You can order uh, cannabis in California or buy it as easily as you can get a pizza. Apart from you have to be over 21, there are no other restrictions. Uh, So now if you live in, we'll say, Oklahoma, where cannabis is illegal and you come to California and while you're in California, you have cannabis, you cannot be prosecuted when you go back home to um, Oklahoma for doing something that's legal in a state that you were in. And I think that the same parallel would have to apply to abortions, that you cannot be prosecuted when you go back to your home state for doing something that is legal in another state, because there is a fundamental right to travel around America, you know, and I think that for the Supreme Court to, if this went back to say, and yes, you have no right to travel as well, uh, would would probably just be a bridge too far. But I should also make it clear that the 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 um, anti-abortion activists and the lobby have been really galvanised by this success, and their ultimate aim is to have a total ban on abortion throughout the United States. Mike Pence, who we expect will run for president in 2024, has made that clear that that's something that he wants and that he will campaign on as well. Um, and, and so it is possible that there could be, if you have, uh, very simply, if the, in the midterm elections that are coming, if Republicans gain control of the House and Senate, and then you have a Republican president in 2024, you could very easily have a federal ban on abortion and it would be upheld by the current Supreme Court. So what's the situation at the moment with the use of abortion pills or even just emergency contraception? Is that at risk as well? Well, at the moment, the abortion medication is widely used in America anyway. It's it's used in most pregnancies when when women are seeking abortions under the 12-week period. So, And all of it has to be done under medical supervision as well at this stage. I I, I should make that clear. Um, As I say, this is widely available. Now, again, because America has states within a federal republic. Um, The the postal service is controlled by the federal government. Uh, So you are allowed federally to post these in the states. There's no federal prohibition. Uh, So you have this curious situation now where federal law says that it's, it's legal to post abortion medication in the mail, but certain states say no, any any abortion is illegal, whether it's medicated abortion or anything else, there's a total ban. So this is is another example of the legal chaos that has been thrown up. For now, it seems that women are able to get um, abortion medication. Uh, But but again, it's something that's moving and that the outcome in a year's time, we'll say, is not certain. So for example, a state may go to court, may sue to say, we are seeking a a declaration that we're within our rights to ban any uh, abortion medication within the state consistent with our ban. And it's very likely that if they did, that would also be upheld. But as I say again, one of the big problems with this has been the legal chaos that has ensued as a result of, of the Supreme Court's decision, because really people are very unclear of, of a whole lot of things. I mean, in the states, as I said, the 12 or 13 states where there's a total ban, it seems clear that they, that would not be tolerated. But in other states, it's it, we're not sure. 
So what type of action then has the Biden administration taken since Roe v. Wade was overturned? Well, you know, that's a really good question because there was a lot of frustration with the Biden administration initially. And some of it, I think, came from not understanding how the law will work, because the federal government, if the Supreme Court strikes down a constitutional right, the federal government there's not a lot it can do. Now, there were there was a lot of talk that um, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, would ensure that women's right to travel was protected. That hasn't really been challenged yet. And then abortion advocates had demanded, that, abortion rights advocates, that um, the federal government set up abortion clinics on federal lands in states that had outlawed it. Now, this is not something the federal government wants to do. And, and it's, it's something that it has just sidestepped every time the issue is raised. And there are reasons for that, because to set up an abortion clinics on federal land, so it would be, we say, for example, in a park, you know, a, a federal park or whatever, uh, or, or somewhere that the, the, the federal government owns land within, we'll say, a state like Mississippi, where abortion is, is completely banned, they would have to recruit and set up clinics from scratch, monitor those clinics, provide security for those clinics. It's much more complicated than it would seem. It's it's much more complicated. It would be much more difficult to do and much more difficult to monitor. It does seem like one of those obvious solutions, but it probably isn't. And certainly the um, Biden administration is, is does not want to do this. It should also be said that Biden is personally, um, you know, he's a very devout Catholic. And while he upholds, like like uh, most people have done in politics, he does not, um, he is not pro-abortion, but he is not, he does not want to discriminate against women's rights to have abortion. None, nonetheless, he recognizes that his personal morality should not be imposed on, on America at large. Uh, but he's been less than, you know, he seemed a little lethargic, to be quite honest about the whole thing. It doesn't seem to be a battle that he has any stomach for. Uh, but I, I think there was frustration amongst Democrats. They felt he should have been out more. He should have been leading on this more. He did make a couple of strong statements, but nowhere near enough, it was felt really. And so uh, it was left to governors like Gavin Newsom in California to really take up the cudgels of this and to say that, well, look, you know, California will be a sanctuary state for women who who, who need abortions and we'll, we'll help you any way we can, etc. So as I say, Biden kind of faded to the background on this and a lot of Republicans in Congress were pretty angry and demoralized. And and, uh, it, and I think it was more like he, as I say, he, he said all the right things. And with the caveat, there isn't actually a whole lot that the federal government can realistically do. Yeah. And you mentioned that the midterms are coming up now. How defining an issue will this be, do you think? And which side has the most momentum behind them on the issue? Well, you know, I think that's a really good question, because if you had asked me that question a couple of weeks ago, I would have said that abortion isn't even going to be an issue because everybody in America at elections, people vote according to the price of petrol at the pumps. They vote according to how much money they have in their wallet every month after they get paid and pay their taxes and whatever. So the two big things, it's always the economy in America. It's always, you know, foreign crises, whatever. They're they're sort of their background noise um, and, and they can become very prevalent if there's a huge epic disaster involving the states. But otherwise, um, cultural issues and, and as I say foreign issues always come second to basic economic issues, health care, um, how much you're going to pay for your health care. And as I say, taxes, the price of petrol, how much money you're going to have left in your wallet. And um, so things were looking really bad for Joe Biden. And because Americans were so concerned about the price of petrol, they were so concerned about 
Uh, even though the economy is in, in relatively good shape, they were concerned about galloping inflation. And, and Biden was, his approval ratings were down around 36, 37%, which would translate into an absolute drubbing, you know, in the midterms. Uh, but now that the price of petrol has gone down almost to where it was back in 2019, and where you have the lowest unemployment in America for more than 50 years, and while people are still disgruntled in America generally, they're now more able to look at things like abortion and go, this is outrageous. We're not going to vote for people who support total bans on abortion. So even in red states, you have something like Arizona, which is a purple state at the moment. You have um, guys like Blake Masters who are totally anti-abortion, totally support a total ban, but they've taken that off their website for the midterms. But of course, their opponents aren't going to let them, you know, get away with that. So I think that it will make a difference in purple states like Pennsylvania, like Wisconsin, like Arizona. Um, Now, so at the moment in Pennsylvania, you have a Republican Republican pro-Trump, Trump-endorsed challenger, Dr. Oz, who's running against a, a Democrat. The Democrat's likely to win now because um, because Pennsylvania is a state where women would be really concerned about losing access to abortion. But I should say it's not just women, it's men as well. Like This debate is spoken about a lot in the context that only women are concerned about this. I've spoken to so many young men who have said that they are really concerned about it as well because, like women, they want to decide when they start family. They want to be able to decide that they want to, you know, finish college, get to a certain place, whatever they, you know, they have been really sort of concerned and opposed to to this abortion ban as well. So, and I think in in Kansas with that vote, a lot of the people who, who voted to keep abortion rights for young men. I think that it will affect, I think that the Democrats may very well hold on to the Senate now, may even pick up a seat or two. Uh, For various reasons, the House will be much more difficult, as I say, because of gerrymandering, because of other um, situations that pre-exist. And then, of course, you have, um, within the states, you have about 20... Three or twenty-four states that are totally run by Republicans. They have Republican governors. They have Republican state-dominated state legislators. They have Republican-dominated state senates. Uh, so they will probably stay more or less that way. But there are a couple of places, like again Arizona, where there's a governor's race coming up, and you have Carrie Lake, who's a Trump. Um, endorsed candidate who is very, very extreme and very anti-abortion. And it's not helping her. It's not helping her at the moment in the race because this is an issue that affects too many people. So I, I think that it will have an impact. It's not going to be the overall deciding thing. It's not going to give Democrats a massive victory, but I think it will certainly whittle away at the Republican tsunami that was seen coming. And as I say, it may well help Democrats to hold on to the Senate and even to pick up an extra seat or two. And there are two movements when it comes to abortion, a pro-choice movement and an anti-abortion movement. Are there any different factions within that anti-abortion movement in terms of things like whether to penalise a person who has an abortion? Oh, yeah. Um, it's You have people who are anti-abortion in principle, but they say that they they would support laws that allowed abortions up to 12 or 15 weeks. So you have that group and they would also allow exceptions in the case of rape, incest or the life of the mother being at risk um, or, or severe fetal abnormalities. So that that's quite a big group. Then you have a group that wants a 100% ban on abortion with no exceptions, absolutely none in any case. And we've seen that reflected in the 12 or 13 states that have introduced those laws. And 
And then you have states that are even of that group, you have a small subset that want very limited abortions, like I said, Mississippi in the case of rape. But then you have another subset, and this is the Arizona personhood law that um, is not going anywhere at the moment, I think, which would declare a fetus from the moment of fertilization to be a person with equivalent rights to the mother. And that if that um, fetus was aborted, the mother would be guilty of murder. Now, several of the states have also, including Oklahoma is another one that comes to mind, have criminalized abortion. Um, and, and, you know, it, it could, and some of the old laws could result in life sentences um, being imposed on, on women who have abortions and also on doctors who perform abortions or medical, other medical staff who assist in the performing of abortions. So it, it's, you know, the, the whole thing is like that there are divisions within that group, but there is a very powerful, very well-funded group that was behind all of this that is driving um, for the, the total ban and wants a total federal ban and they don't regard their work as being done yet by any means they think that this has been a huge victory but they they would regard it as that until there's a federal ban they they won't finish their campaigning and their lobbying and and their drive to do this is there any chance now of another case ending up in the supreme court that could rewrite the laws on abortion again could it swing back the other way now no, not not with this Supreme Court. There's every chance that multiple cases will end up back before before the Supreme Court because the law, because what they did, as I said, basically, you know, you multiply 50 states by three or four different sets of laws and, and you know, it's absolute chaos. So there, the cases may well end up back before the Supreme Court. But at the moment, you have a conservative majority. You have six conservative judges in the majority and um, with against three liberal judges. And of that six, uh, I mean, they they are all of them, except for the Chief Justice, John Roberts, who is anti-abortion, but he's more moderate in, in trying to keep you know, a, a balance in the court, uh, but there's no way that that this will be will be overturned. And you know, it has been discussed that look. Basically, I I think that the the it, it should also be said that the, these abortion rights should have been encoded in the federal laws. You know that, that after 1972 and certainly after 1992 with Casey, when when it, it was really you know it was a belt and braces case that said absolutely women have this right and and you know don't ever challenge it again. Basically, a legislation should have been introduced in in the Senate and in Congress and signed off by whoever was president, saying okay we are codifying the women's right. To to abortion in the federal law. That was never done. I suspect that if they, well, for starters, it, it, it won't pass now because there would be too much resistance to it. Uh, but even at a certain point, if it did, it's very possible that the Supreme Court could strike that down, this current Supreme Court. And I should also say this current Supreme Court is pretty young. Kavanaugh, um, Gorsuch and Coney Barrett are all in their early 50s. Uh, they're going to be around very possibly for another 30 years. Uh, so they're there is no sign that this hardline approach is going to change soon. John Roberts is also um, likely to be around for at least another couple of decades, as is Alito and Clarence Thomas. So there there will be very, it's, it doesn't seem like there'll be much movement on the court in, in the next couple of decades, which is why we really are seeing the power of the court and it's a power that's out of whack, but it, it, it's emerging as the most powerful, I think, of, of all of the institutions of democracy in America. And unfortunately, um, the, the public 
public trust in the court has plummeted since this decision. And, you know, you're in a very worrying state at the moment in America where uh, the American public have very little faith in their government, in the executive. They, they Congress approval ratings are usually about 12 or 15 percent. And now you have the court that's its approval ratings and the ratings of trust have gone, have, as I say, plummeted. So it's very unhealthy for democracy when an electorate um, and when a country no longer has faith in any of its governing institutions. It does seem like the US is going through a particularly turbulent time in recent years and it sounds like there may be more of that turbulence ahead now. Marion, thanks so much for chatting to me today and giving us that update. Absolute pleasure. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Marion for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber, or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.